Chloe. I'm Shannon. I'm Emma. And welcome to this podcast, Does It Exist? I hope that you liked our brand new theme music, courtesy of our friend Tom Emsley-Smith. Talk about way to show up. You give us podcast ideas, and then you listen, you subscribe right away, and the rest of you, I'm I'm not saying you need to step (laughs) up your game, but... I might be saying that. At least, the least you can do, my friends, because we want to hear from you, is send us a quick little email. Let us know that you're out there. We promise to read them someday. Yes, we have been uh, planning to do a mailbag for about a month now. (laughs) At least. It might be before Christmas. Well before Christmas. Um, But uh, things have gotten in our way, uh, mainly ourselves. As well as, uh, some of it is my fault. Uh, I'm currently moving. Um, we're in a new pod location. The pod nook. The new pod nook. We're so sorry. We didn't give you the chance to say goodbye to the dude. Yeah, so sorry. We didn't necessarily know we didn't either. it was goodbye. Yeah. But you, who knows? You never know. There might be... There's Yeah, there's always one there's day. There's always some time that we might need to go back. You know, when I need to paint this. <laughs> True. Or if you have someone staying here. Yeah. But yeah, um, welcome everybody. Like I said, send us all your stories. Uh, and you can do that from our website, which is thispodcastdoesnexist.com. Yes. Dot com. Thank you. Sorry, I was too busy. I was getting ready to say our website, but then I second guessed myself because last time I said www and you commented <laughs> on it. So then I went, oh God, what comes after www? <laughs> and then you, you took that pause as like a cue to jump in, which worked out fine. But. <laughs> after um the name of our <laughs> the name show. of our podcast it's fine that's why i need to paint it up here in the nook so i can look at it and remember yeah exactly yes you need you need visual reminders uh, you need visual reminders i'm like um, things are happening <laughs> did you see that one video i feel like it makes the rounds every christmas of um patty labelle and she's singing and she's like <laughs> Oh, yes. Last this Christmas. Where are my cue cards? Where are my backup singer? Why are you applauding? She's like, I don't know the words. And I'm like, wow, what a queen. What an icon. To get to the level of Patti LaBelle being able to get up on a stage and just say whatever the heck you want. I, I mean, honestly, any actor or singer forgetting words is my favorite thing. Like, some people in the Broadway community, notorious. Mm-hmm. Adina Menzel. Oh my god. Forget about it. <laughs> yes. Just, um, it's just at, in one ear out the other. I was gonna say Adam Levine. Nope. Adam no. Pascal. There we go. <laughs> or at least when he was learning the part in Rent. They had to like, that's why his choreography is all moody and st- stuck on because a table because they put ha- the lyrics on the table. <laughs> he has to remember <laughs> what his words them. are. Uh, uh, well, anyway, if you remember the words... To our website. Go to it. <laughs> Go find it. You can find everything there. You can our find socials. Our reels on Instagram. Ooh, we're getting fancy, y'all. Yeah. Look at us. Look at look us, us doing go. things. Boom, boom, boom. We're trying to take 2022 by the horns and toss it over our shoulders. So. It's a lot more physical activity than I was anticipating. So it was sure. today. <laughs> we I were mean, packing fair. today, my friends. <laughs> Get our steps in. We got our steps in. It's fine. Um. Cool. Cool. Great. Good. That was bullet point number one. Intro. Because <laughs> I still have to write it. I know. It. I don't. You still do it. Look, I, I just. I am what I am. All right. I am what I am. So here's the thing. 
those of you that were here last week, welcome back, first of all. Welcome back to um, class. You know that Emma stole one of my episodes. I know. Last week. Did you see my reel that I made? I did. <laughs> I was very proud of myself. I, it was very good. I couldn't put it on the clock app, though, because we're like a business account, so we can't use any of the fun audios, which is lame. Oh, rude. Yeah. But I did it on the Instagram. Well so. done. There we go. So I did think about, I was like, oh, I could do like an Emma episode as payback. But then I was worried I was going to scare myself. It's totally fair. <laughs> Especially in a new place and at night. <laughs> well, uh, well, like, I, I just, I didn't even, when I was at home starting my research in the daytime, in the yeah, comfort fair. of my room, I still didn't want to Google, like, t- most, most haunted dolls or, like, <laughs> I was like. I found some more. Oh, God, of course you did. <laughs> of course you did. But, so. Uh, I, so I didn't. Uh, we're back with another me episode. That's fine. <laughs> Which also, no one is surprised. And if you are surprised, welcome. You're new here. Uh, I've been listening to another Mount Everest audiobook. Yes, she has. <laughs> Which. She has some things. I won't get into it. I'm going to save it for a future teaser, maybe like update sort of episode. Oop, you don't know. What, what does she need? Write to us and if that sounds intriguing. But so I've been in like an adventure mindset. And this topic has been like on the docket in the back of my brain for a while. But I've been like, ah, I don't know. Da, 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 da. But I was like, finally, I was just like, I'm in the mood. Let's go. So caveat. Mm. <laughs> there isn't a ton of like actual mystery or conspiracy in this. But I just really wanted to talk about it. <laughs> And I do think that it's a mystery that this person got away with so much in their life. I will allow it because... Okay, good. Because that's all I got today. It's our podcast and we can do whatever we want. Yeah. Well, again, if you, dear listeners, friends, family, random strangers off of dating apps, hi. Hello. Um, if you want to hear us talk about things that aren't mysteries but we're really obsessed with, like, write in and let us know because... We're always trying to think about content. So, there we go. Emma. Yes. Here we go. Okay. This episode. Yeah. Is going to take us across the globe. Wait, like to different places, like multiple places across the globe? Yeah, I was going to list some things if you didn't interrupt me. Sorry, I was asking questions. (laughs) This episode will take us across the globe, colon. (laughs) From California to the Irish fields. Across illegal borders, into the gold business, Ooh. hypothetically to the North Pole, and even into divorce court. <laughs> and I will say, similar to Frank Abagnale Jr. of mm. Catch Me If You Can fame, I feel like this person falls into the category of if you didn't know he was real, you would think that the story was like really outrageous that they someone, made up for a yeah, movie. You're like, wrote what? It. That's bananas. So today, I'm here to tell you about George Melville Boynton, the best explorer that never was. Ooh! Oh, I'm excited! <laughs> also, and currently, it sounds like a mystery anyway, so I'm excited. It's a twist and a turn, I will say. Huge shout out, first of all, to an account on TikTok at the amateur dot professional. I've linked it in the show notes. 
their TikTok video I saw ages ago, like 2020, and I saved it because I was like, this sounds cool. And then I finally got back to it. And then also to the blog for the British Library's Map Library, which is called The Map House, which I think is cute. Um, That is very much my primary source. So you're going to hear from them a fair amount. That's fine. But there we go. Actually, like, they are my primary source because there's actually very little about this wacky dude, like, on the internet. That's so interesting. Like, four pages of Google search results. That's and so half interesting. Of, half of them are, like, the yellow pages or, like, lookupdeadpeople.com. And you're like, this person is not... <laughs> this, this person does not exist. <laughs> right? Like... You're going to become the primary source. What? I mean, the map house should still be the primary source. I mean, source, but, but... You're, but you are the the researcher who has pulled all the information together. I mean, sure. We love it. Um, I, w- I meant, before we start recorded, recording, I did mean to look up to see if the, any other podcasts showed up if you searched his name. I forgot, so. That's all right. We'll find out. We'll we'll claim we'll stake our claim right now. And if Here we're we wrong, go. sorry. <laughs> Listen to it all the way through. Like, share, subscribe. Okay. So, early days, chapter one. Okay. George Melville Boynton. What a funny name for it. It does. It's a great Boynton. Boynton. <laughs> Was born in Laconia, New Hampshire, on July fifteenth, eighteen sixty-nine. Not much is known about his childhood. Makes sense. We do know that his father, Melville Cax Boynton, was a successful cloak merchant in New York City. Cloak? I mean, it's the late 1800s. I know, but like, was you yeah. Dracula? <laughs> Number one client. <laughs> a new cloak, sir. George received a thorough education in Boston after which he lived and likely worked with his father in New York until the age of 20. In 1889, a violent quarrel drove them apart, after which they never spoke again. Wow. Afraid to return home, and with only $10 in his pocket, George made the first of many brash decisions he would make over the course of his lifetime. He boarded a fruit ship, Headed for Rio de Janeiro in search of adventure. Fun. I mean, at that point, you only got ten dollars. You got nobody else in the world. What do you? What else are you gonna do? I mean, yeah. Be we, sensible. We don't know. hear about a mom ever. I was so. gonna say. Apparently, mom. Mothers does not don't exist. exist. This mother doesn't, <laughs> doesn't exist. <laughs> okay, so Rio, Rio de Janeiro. It was there that, in his own words, to a newspaper thirty years later. Boynton discovered his true life's work, soldiering. (laughs) Okay. A vocation to which he would return several times throughout his very weird life. All right. And then this next bit is heavily paraphrased from the map house. Shortly after arriving in Rio on, quote, a street with a Spanish-sounding name, (laughs) unquote, he saw a regiment of Brazilian troops parading in their red and gold uniforms and was mightily impressed. Mm. Knowing that South America was at the time plagued by uprisings, revolutions, and civil wars, Boynton saw a career as a soldier of fortune as, quote, about as steady a trade as one can take up, unquote, and went with it 
went at it with great enthusiasm. In the same newspaper interview, Boyton claimed to have fought with the Marshal da Fonseca in Brazil in 1889, in the revolution against Balmaceda in Chile in 1891, and along Picola Perola, the Fox of Peru from 1893 to 1895. That's a lot. He also claimed to have been a military advisor to Maximo Gomez during the Cuban War of Independence, 1895 to 98, and later to have fought in Colombia, Mexico, and Manchuria. Granted, we only have his word I was on any of these, that. <laughs> which you will soon realize does not mean very much. Okay. Um, also, what experience do you have? You've been making cloaks in New York City. I mean, it, you give a you give a kid a gun, you're fine. I, I guess. guess, but soldiering, sure, but military advisor. I know that's interesting. Some some gringo. I mean, it. At that point, I'm like, is it valuable to be white in that space at that point? I don't know. That being said, American mercenaries, also called filibusters, were commonplace in South and Central America in the late 19th century. So this cannot be completely ruled out that he was actually doing that. Okay. One source claims that Boynton's South American exploits were entirely a fraud. (laughs) According to the source, immigration records show he actually went to London and then to Australia in 1889. Whoa. That's... What? (laughs) He later claimed that during the next eight years, he had made six trips across the Atlantic Ocean instead of being in South America. The source that says that, I feel like, is a little less reputable than the British British Library source, but still felt like I needed to include it. I mean, it's fair. At this point, like, if all the information we're getting is basically from him, and then we find immigration papers that are like, nah, he was on a boat on the way to London, then, like, there's only so many things that he can say. (laughs) Right, but, like, I feel like if the immigration records were real, the British Library would have included them in their big write-up. You know okay. what I mean? Like, I feel it because they do call him out at several points in this piece of, like, yeah, he was probably lying. So it's not like they're trying to, like, do a me where they, like, give you the Hope Diamond legend and then they're like, lol, just so kidding, like, at the end. They do it throughout. So I just found that interesting. I like it. Yeah. Are you ready for chapter two? Absolutely. I have a question for you, Emma. Okay. Who run the world? Girls. Well, duh. But guess who walks it? Our friend George. <laughs> Thanks. I'm pretty proud of that one. Okay. So by 1897, Boynton had returned to the United States and was living in San Francisco. Tell me you have a bad relationship with your dad without telling me he's in New York. You are on literally the other side of the country. As far away as you can get Woo-hoo. while being in the same country. And then I wrote, he would not, however, keep it chill and casual for long. <laughs> this is why I'm afraid to go back to grad school. Because I feel like I wouldn't, I'd be like, you want me to write a serious academic paper? <laughs> I'm <laughs> like, hey, bro. <laughs> nah, man. I'm not here for serious. I'm here for a good time. Um, okay. 
Soon, he would set off on what is perhaps the most infamous of his wild endeavors, walking around the world to win a $50,000 wager. Whoa. According to contemporary news articles, Boynton made a bet with some wealthy friends in San Francisco, some sources claim that it was the mayor of San Francisco himself, that he could walk around the world without spending any money, relying entirely on the kindness of strangers. Hmm. He supposedly said that he wanted to prove, quote, that money is not the most important thing, that the, that the superiority of man over colossal difficulties can be accomplished minus the aid of Uncle Sam's gold certificates. Hmm. And then uh, there's an article from The Strand Magazine, which was published in February of 1901. And I have a quote. So here we go. Another traveler who aspires to make himself famous by creating the record of having walked around the world is George Melville Boynton. He started from San Francisco early on the morning of August 13th, 1897, and he is still tramping. He started with no money in his pockets, his object being to live on the hospitality of the inhabitants of the various countries through which he passed. The estimated distance is 31,000 miles, and he is to accomplish the task within a stated time. This remarkable feat of pedestrianism is the outcome of a wager. If Boynton succeeds, a sum of $50,000 will be paid over to charities in San Francisco by the other parties to the wager. Boynton reached England some months ago, and after touring the country, left for the continent. Judging from the present rate of progress, there seems every prospect of the globetrotter fulfilling the wager. It is to be hoped that he will, for charity's sake. Which I was like, oh, he just, he's doing yeah. it for charity. How nice. This is fascinating, too, because now my, my next thought is, how'd you get on the boat? <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> His proposed route was to take him from San Francisco to New York, then by ship to London, through all the major capitals of Europe, across Siberia, to Vladivostok. I really that place tried. sounds so fun. <laughs> Vladivostok. Vladivostok? Yeah. Through Japan and back across the Pacific. He would finish by crossing the United States a second time before arriving triumphantly in Washington, D.C., he was required to complete the walk within five years and was not allowed to spend any money along the way. As odd as this trip may sound, long distance walking was actually not uncommon at the time. <laughs> I guess that's just turn of the century entertainment for you. I was just about to say, you're so bored. You're so bored. The, before the 24-hour news cycle, this is what we had to do to get news in the papers. Right? In a dramatic interpretation of the bet's conditions, Boynton decided to undertake this venture without a stitch of clothing on his back. Oh my gosh. To avoid walking the streets of San Francisco in the nude, he hastily fashioned a suit of clothes out of brown paper, perhaps utilizing some of the skills he had learned working with his father, the cloak maker. <laughs> no. <laughs> the answer to that is no. <laughs> Sorry. This is just, you're not wrong about the twists and the turns in this guy. Oh my this God. This is only chapter two, my dude. I'm crying. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I'm not sorry. 
he, I don't know, he did, he wanted to start with nothing to prove that you could, but then I think he quickly realized, like, oh, I'm gonna get arrested. (laughs) I just really like the idea that someone was like, I bet that you can't walk the United, or you can't walk the entire world in five years. He goes, oh, bet, I bet I can do it naked. (laughs) What a frat bro move. (laughs) Hold my beer. Very bored frat bros. Fortunately, before he even left the city, a local tailor took pity on the young man and gifted him a complete outfit of clothes. Hey, he ate wrong. The kindness of strangers. Including a knapsack and some important gear. The kindness or the like, oh God. I do not want to see your dingling. I want my children to be able to walk in the street. Please put that away. (laughs) Please, sir. Although he only spent a few hours in his paper suit, he brought it up often in newspaper interviews. I would too. (laughs) And was more than happy to recreate the outfit during a visit to a London photography studio. (laughs) I would bring it up all the time. The resulting photograph of George Melville Boynton striking a thoughtful pose in his paper suit was featured prominently in several journals, including Sketch and the Illustrated London News. Visit our Instagram if you too would like to see the paper suit of George Boynton. (laughs) Not the naked guy. No. (laughs) We're not trying to get banned. No. (laughs) And then I have another quote from Mm -hmm. Map House. The Map House. The. The Map House. Anyway. Uh, Quote, for all his flaws... Boynton was certainly a master of self-promotion. As he made his way across the country, more and more newspaper articles started to appear about the adventurous young man. Tales of narrow escapes from hostile Native Americans in Utah, from extreme thirst in the deserts of Nevada, and from an oncoming train in a tunnel near Pittsburgh were incredibly popular and appeared in newspaper articles across the country. (laughs) This dude... Despite all of his supposed misadventures, Boynton made good time, covering over 2,000 miles within the first 100 days of his journey, landing him in Chicago on November 24th and down to D.C. by January 17th. Well, okay. Good job. He apparently visited President McKinley at the White House, who wished him luck and Godspeed. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks, President McKinley. Is this the naked dude? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. (laughs) Yes, Mr. President. Finally, after six months and more than 4,000 miles of walking, George arrived in New York City on February 13th, 1898, where he gave interviews to several newspapers. Boynton's father, delighting, (laughs) delighting the reporter who managed to track him down, called him, quote, a crank and left it at that. I really want to know what the argument was about. (laughs) Apparently it was violent. I know. Who knows? Some believe that this mileage may be fraudulent in itself. Ooh. There There was no newspaper coverage from San Francisco at the time. In fact, it wasn't until he arrived in Pennsylvania about four months later in December 1897 that anybody noticed him. He likely never lived in California and actually started his adventure in Pittsburgh. Even the frauds had stories of their arrivals printed in the newspapers, but for Boynton, they were silent until he was near the East Coast. That's so interesting. The next leg of his travels, as Emma pointed out, posed a challenge. 
as no ocean liners or shipping companies were interested in giving free passage to a broke, smelly weirdo. <laughs> Correct. Eventually, Boynton found passage on the Wilson Furness Lines Lon- Londonian. <laughs> Thanks to a friend in New York who paid his way. Oh, okay. The Londonian departed. Get this. For London on February 20th. <laughs> And arrived without incident two weeks later. Oh, that's good. No Mary Celeste. No. No. Any thoughts, feelings, opinions? Not currently. Okay. Chapter three. Oh, okay. I was like, why? I'm treating this as like a middle school textbook. You know, you get to the end of the chapter and they're like, the discussion questions. questions. (laughs) Your homework. (laughs) I'm still kind of focused on the fact that he decided to tell people he started off naked. (laughs) I mean... It's a story. You'd remember it. Yeah. Chapter three. Mm. The Motherland and beyond. (laughs) Boynton only stayed in London for four days before departing for Liverpool by way of Birmingham. From Liverpool, he sailed to Ireland, arriving in Queenstown on the White Star Lines Britannic on March 31st. For the next month, he traveled extensively through Ireland, visiting Killarney, Limerick, Dublin, and Belfast, as well as many smaller towns and villages. His travels were covered in detail by local papers, especially those in Dublin and Belfast. So we know that this part, at least, he didn't make up. Yeah. <laughs> he did do some walking. Yeah. He's not a total fraudster. Well, I mean, you gotta, you gotta play at least a little bit of the part in order to make it believable. I guess. Uh, it was this focus from the press that led to a happy bit of happenstance mm. for the young Mr. Boyton. Can I ask how old he is again? I, I like, immediately forgot. 28, I think, by this point. Because okay. he had the fight when he was 20, and then he went down to South America to soldier a lot. Maybe, yeah. For, okay. like, a, a few years. A while. Okay. Due to the continued interest in his walking journey... George found himself in the Dublin branch of James Stack Lauder's photography studio. Lauder's firm was quite famous in its own right, known for the successful commercial distribution of their portraits of the royal family. Oh, okay. The firm also had studios in Glasgow, Belfast, Manchester, and on the fashionable Bond Street in London. Ooh. And then we have another little blurb from the map house. Mm. Upon entering the studio, Boynton was entranced by a photograph of a mysterious woman and demanded to know her identity. The proprietor explained that the woman was his niece, Sarah Harding Lauder, who lived with her family in Glasgow. Her father being the manager of the Glasgow branch of the Lafayette firm. Without a moment's hesitation... Boynton walked to Belfast, boarded a ship for Glasgow, introduced himself to Sarah's father, and asked for her hand in marriage. Wow. That is no time spent thinking. Sarah seems to have been equally taken with the mysterious stranger. Girl! (laughs) As the couple were married less than a week later in Edinburgh, on the 11th of June, 1898. So I made myself a suit out of brown paper. Paper. And it looked, honestly, 
I looked hot. Our wedding, very low cost. I mean, I can make you I can make bu- you. We'll go to the butcher. We'll go and get some paper. It'd be real easy, honestly. It would. You'd look beautiful. You'd look beautiful in anything. You'd look, you would look beautiful in brown paper. I fell in love with you before I even saw you. In person. In person. <laughs> I saw your photograph. I saw you on Instagram. I saw you on Instagram. The media of the day ate up this love at first sight narrative and reported it with great pomp and circumstance, as they did with many of Boynton's exploits. None of the media accounts, however, mentioned that the newlywed couple spent just one day together before Boynton left to continue his walk around the world. <laughs> This girl's like, sure, I'll get married to you. When are you leaving? <laughs> they also failed to mention that Sarah's mother was vociferously against the marriage and refused to give her blessing. It, rightly so. I don't know you, dude. Yeah, that's not being a too overprotective Irish mom. Like, no, Scottish mom. Scottish mom. Me. Regardless, Celtic mom. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, from Edinburgh, the newly married Boynton turned south crossed the English border near Longholm, and arrived in Kendal in the Lake District on June 19th. A week later, he completed his longest single day of walking, a whopping 52 miles Ouch. while passing through Liverpool and Manchester. He was briefly detained in Nantwich. <laughs> With a foot injury as a result of his lengthy push. Ouch. That managed to continue on to Birmingham a few days later. It was in Birmingham that Boynton received one of the warmest receptions of his journey when the mayor, with whom Boynton would remain friends for decades after, bestowed upon the young man a gold medal as a token of the city's esteem. I'm just imagining this, like, portly little British man coming out from his house. <laughs> Good evening, sir. I would like to present to you this gold medal. It's a token of our love. He's like, thanks, I really would love a sandwich. <laughs> can I just get some water and can a I, seat? Can I have a scone, please? Can I, can I just have some pants? <laughs> really like some new some pants. Some boots. From Birmingham... Boynton headed straight to London to prepare for the European phase of his journey. Mm. On July 30th, George left London on a ship bound for Lisbon. Once there, he applied to the U.S. legation for a passport to allow him to cross the border into Spain. Interesting. Cool. Okay. You didn't need a passport to get to England. That was my next question. It's fine. Um, It is a little bit of a weird choice. Because Spain and the United States had been in, at war since that was, April. I was going to say, that was my next question. Yep. <laughs> History class was rearing its head. I, I was like, oh, we had a war with Spain. Good to know. George's passport application was co-signed by his new brother-in-law, James Stanley Lauder, who had apparently traveled with him from London. Whoa, wait, What? <laughs> I, I want to know, though, if he was like, all right, you keep walking. I'll meet you in London. <laughs> like, I'm not coming with yeah, you. Yeah, he's like, I'm going to take a carriage. I'll, Just I'll see you later. Bye. <laughs> Boynton intended to capture photographs of his walk across Europe. So perhaps James Lauder was sent to deliver the camera equipment and instruct Boynton on its use. Okay, that makes sense to me. Or 
Perhaps the 18-year-old was simply enthralled by his mysterious new brother-in-law and went along for the adventure. Oh, I did not realize he was 18 years old. <laughs> yeah, but this is like late 1800s, 18. That's I mean, basically like 30. Yeah, but your, your, your mental state is still the same as an 18-year-old now, I would assume. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Your maturity level is definitely not as high as it should be. I mean, that father let his daughter get married after like one day or like that was a week, you know maybe like um the passport application was approved on August 2nd 1898 and Boynton began the 150 mile walk from Lisbon to the Portuguese border with Spain stubbornly in denial about the dangers of traveling through a country at war with his homeland By sheer coincidence, the Spanish-American War came to an end on August 21st, the day before Boynton arrived at the Spanish border. I feel like this dude has some kind of guardian angel. He made a deal with the Fae. Yeah, some kind of universe witch who's like, you know what? Go for it, buddy. You go. You go. We'll just just sit back and watch. Take care of it for you. Even so... Boynton was refused permission to enter Spain by the border guards, possibly because news about the treaty had not reached them yet. Okay. But most likely because Boynton's appearance, demeanor, and purpose all would have sounded extremely suspicious at a time of heightened tension. He's naked walking. He's not naked anymore. (laughs) Stop picturing him naked the whole time. He's not. <laughs> just picturing You're just naked. picturing a Ken doll, like, yeah. loping across the God. Um, Do you like my Ken doll visual bit? <laughs> reject. Eh. Our Mr. Boynton was not one to be kept from success by oh. such simple things as borders or crossing guards. <laughs> I mean... It doesn't sound like it so far, so I'm not surprised at all. No. Just after midnight, he began to crawl across the border on his stomach, making it about halfway across before a Spanish sentry spotted him and started shooting. Of course! Boynton dashed for cover in a nearby row of trees where he hunkered down in relative safety for the rest of the night. Okay. The reckless decision to sneak across the border was just one of the many close escapes he had as he made his way across Spain. Several times, he was shot at by Spaniards who recognized him as an American. He was attacked by angry mobs, threatened by Spanish army officers, and arrested several times as a spy. Yeah. (laughs) At no point, no point, Did he ever try to make things easier for himself by disguising his nationality? In fact, he made it significantly more challenging for himself by choosing to wear an American flag sash, which was given to him by a fellow American traveler at the Alhambra in Granada. This is the most American thing I have ever heard in my life. And it's what? 1899? Yeah. Yeah. The sash accompanied him, for better and for worse, as he walked 1,300 miles across Spain. Oh my god, dude, just ditch it! No. He was proud to be an American. 
proud of being an American. The Iberian leg of his journey came to an end when he crossed into France on New Year's Day, 1899. Oh, that's kind of fun. After a treacherously freezing journey through the Pyrenees. Oh, never mind. <laughs> it was here that he capitulated and purchased some food to avoid certain starvation. I feel like that is okay. Yes. However, this did violate the central condition of the original wager and marked the end of his walk around the world. Boynton, severely weakened by the winter crossing of the Pyrenees, sailed to London before heading to Glasgow to see his wife. Oh, okay. I I, I kind of thought that he was just going to be like, all right, peace, bye. <laughs> Although your face makes me scared. <laughs> George and Sarah were together for less than two weeks before Boynton again departed, this time for Ireland. Why? Within eight months of the wedding, he had already sent her a letter encouraging her to file for divorce. Uh, um... When she she refused, Boynton filed her divorce himself, admitting during the trial that he had repeatedly been unfaithful and that he intended to return to the United States and had no intention of bringing Mrs. Boynton with him. He even joked in court that he was going to name his new company after one of his mistresses as a cruel joke but one that was reported with glee in the Scottish press. Dang. That was, that's cold, man. Like, I can, I, I respect that you're like, you know what? I was super unfaithful to you. Like, we haven't been married that long. We don't really know each other. We should just get divorced. One, though, um, you, dude, should be the one to file for divorce. Because if your wife does, then that's going to be an issue at this point in time. Because uh, she's a woman. And unfortunately, there's, like, no rights for her. And uh, two, did you not think this through the first time? (laughs) Well, we'll get there. Oh, okay. After three years, the unhappy marriage was finally dissolved on November 15th, 1901. It is reasonable to wonder whether the marriage was simply a matter of convenience for Boynton. That would make sense to me. Two weeks before the wedding, the South Australian Register reported that he was searching for, quote, some admiring firm to represent him with a camera and a number of photographic plates. Ah, So perhaps he just saw Sarah as an opportunity. Aww. It's obvious that she, like, kind of liked him. Uh, Maybe? Or was she just sick of her ma trying to get her to, like, date the butcher's son? I mean, that's totally fair. You know what I mean? Like, she's like, wait, I can get a husband. I've read enough historical romance novels to know (laughs) that people either really want to get married or they very much don't. And they're like, how do I find a husband that also doesn't want to be married? But we can just, like, do that and then not do anything else. Basically be each other's beards while also, like, doing whatever you want. I mean, stuff happens. I was going to say, in a historical romance novel, it usually ends up that they end up loving each other unconditionally. Who doesn't love an enemies to lovers? Um, Me. That's my favorite On the page. On the page. That's Never in real life. Aaron, Aaron, I'm so glad we were never enemies. Don't be mean to me, ever. (laughs) Don't be, please. (laughs) I can't take it. I'm too fragile. I can be mean to you, but please don't ever be mean to me. (laughs) (laughs) So true. I'm like, I can be mean to other people. 
No, that's a, don't take that out of context, future enemies of my life. Um, it's fine. Twenty twenty two. I'm entering my reputation era. There you Do you go. know what that means? You're cool. If you don't, pfft, lame. Go back and listen to episode like seventeen or whatever it was. Uh, of, uh, go watch our fir- our very first reel. Well, our well, second our second reel. reel. Yeah. Our second reel. <laughs> For real. For real. All right. What are we on? Chapter four. Oh. What's next? And if you recognize that fandom reference, you're cool. I'm very not cool then. <laughs> what show do I absolutely love that I want you to watch? West Wing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you say it like that? I don't know, because I was questioning myself as I said it. Yeah. I was question, like, question what? yourself, not the West Wing. Oh, and no, like, You're like, not. the West Wing? Oh, because I was trying to make sure that it was the actual show. I was like, there are so many shows that I know I'm supposed to see by now. Although I feel like for television, you've seen way more than me. I've seen more popular, like, newer shows. Whereas, like, you have watched, like, I've never seen Survivor. <sighs> I have never seen The Amazing Race. Eh. Yeah. Never, like, I, I, like that kind of stuff. Like, you are there for the long-standing, like, competition shows, the reality TV. I'm there for the, like, uh, comedy, uh, the stupid stuff. I'm there for the stupid stuff. I will offer that if you and Aaron, next season of Survivor, want to get in, I'm happy to do that with you. Okay. Or they have some seasons on Hulu and Netflix. Okay. Um, I have met someone who has one survivor. Yeah. Yeah. But I've never seen I told her that. I was like, so I've never seen Survivor? And she was like, that's fine. I pay, I used all the money to pay for medical school and now I'm a now I'm a cancer doctor. And I was like, You're great. cool. <laughs> <laughs> You're cool. Alright. But anyway, what's next? To the North Pole! Ooh! What? Yeah, confusing, I know. It is very weird. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at this point, I'm just expecting him to end up, like, in a zoo. You're like, just, and then he found El Dorado. He did. It's like, he, like, genuinely found El Dorado. I mean, you did mention gold. Oh, wait. Oh. During the spring of 1899, Boynton traveled back to Ireland to give talks about his lengthy walking endeavors. It was during this time that he realized he could raise money just by walking and talking about it. I mean, it's it, once you have some momentum, <laughs> pun not intended, but once you have some momentum of like, hey, this is what I am doing, and everyone is so bored that they're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to follow everything that you're doing. Like, of course people are going to come and watch you talk and pay you to talk to them. Yeah. With this new scheme in mind, Boynton returned to New York to begin raising money for an expedition which if it had succeeded, would have placed him among the greatest explorers of the age. He intended to fly in a hot air balloon to the North Pole. Oh, okay. (laughs) In a letter sent to the American Geographical Society in April 1900, Boynton stated that he had, quote, decided to try and reach the Earth's northern axis by means of an airship, unquote. He also wrote that his method of reaching the pole would be, quote, very much similar to that of poor André, unquote, 
a reference to the Swedish balloonist Salomon Andres' doomed attempt to fly over the North Pole in 1897. Andre, a far more experienced balloonist and explorer than Boynton, failed to get nearer than 300 miles to the pole before his balloon crashed. He and his two fellow explorers, Knut Frankel and Nils Strindberg, lost their lives in the attempt. Their bodies were not discovered until 1930, and the ultimate cause of their deaths is still a mystery. Aww. That's so sad. But also, like, dude, what makes you think you're able to do this? Yeah. Like, just pure unmitigated gall. The audacity. There we go. Thank you. (laughs) The audacity of this witch. (laughs) But, uh, I will be looking into that balloon crash. It's a mystery. (laughs) Does that have me written all over it or what? So, as, as you so eloquently pointed out, Emma... Despite the fact that Boynton had no scientific skills, no Arctic experience, and very little adventuring aside from walking under his belt, he really seemed to think he could accomplish a task that had bested three much more experienced men. The audacity of a white man. I assume he's white. I mean, I also assume, and in the pictures, or, yeah, the pictures. He appears to be. He's from New Hampshire. I mean, he could be, yeah. This is true. Yes. But also, like, late 1800s, we're not going to let a non-white man just walk around. That was my next, yeah, that was my next, <laughs> my next thing. I'm like, historically, historically, they probably wouldn't be okay super with anyone who it. wasn't white wandering yeah. around. It's, yeah. do do At noon on June 26th, 1899, George Boynton set off from Brooklyn, New York, headed for San Francisco. Walking. Again, he's walking. okay. Styling himself as Captain Boynton, his goal was to find, quote, 5,000 patriotic Americans who will volunteer to give $10 each to send him himself, Captain Boynton, at a party of five others on an exploring expedition to the North Pole. Well, at least you're not doing it by yourself. I was a little afraid that you were like, I'm definitely going to be able to do it all by my lonesome. So, there's a guy that I probably won't talk about on the podcast because I don't think I don't think there's actually a mystery involved, but he was like a British mystic who despite not being able to fly and not having any mountaineering experience was like, I'm going to fly a plane from England to Nepal onto Mount Everest and then I'm going to climb to the top. He actually made it to Everest, but he crashed. And then they couldn't find his body, but then the Chinese found him. Aw. Yeah. Wow. That was a great story. <laughs> That's not a joke. That was that was really cool. Yeah. And I have another book checked out from the library about him. I was just about to say, <laughs> so when are we getting that book report? <laughs> uh, stay tuned. It's I think it's called The Moth and the Mountain. Ooh. Either I checked it out from the library or I requested it at the library, but... Either way, you're going to get it. I mean, maybe. We'll see. I do much better on audio than I do on with physical books. Yeah. But that's okay. Uh, right. So in order to draw more attention to his fundraising goal, Boynton set himself the added restriction of never sleeping indoors for the duration of the trip. 
Again, like the whole. You gotta have a gimmick, Emma. You really he do. He already walked apparently. across the country once, supposedly. But like, <laughs> it's the one-upmanship of like, I bet you to do this thing that is basically uncomplishable. Oh, really? But <laughs> naked outside. So I mean, he is leaving in June, so that's a little bit more feasible that I don't he, know, he's the, not sleeping inside. By the time you get to the desert at night, like, it's cold. Well, that's not my problem, Emma. <laughs> I wasn't saying it was! <laughs> I, he chose to do this. And also, it's not like there's a, a film crew following him the whole time, right? That's like, he true. totally yeah, could have just, just yeah, no find a shed somewhere. Exactly. No one's going to hold it A boxcard children situation. Oh, yeah. And, like, I feel like he'd be like, well, it's not a house, so it's not really inside. I left the door open. That's true. He would probably, he would find some way to caveat it. It's a tent. (laughs) Yeah. He'd find some way. By August, he had reached Chicago. Three weeks later, on September 2nd, he arrived in Kansas City. Kansas, not Missouri. (laughs) Where he managed to arrange to sleep on the back porch of the Allman Hotel. The following day's edition of the Kansas City Journal, rightfully skeptical of this new arrival, described him perfectly. Oh, I'm so excited. Quote, the captain may be destined to be a great man. He thinks he is. He might be a lunatic and he may be a harmless vagabond. At any rate, he tells an interesting story about himself. Ooh, ooh! What a burn! What a what sick a, burn! What a backhanded compliment. Okay, just a quick side because Aaron's grandmother is one of my favorite people on the planet. She is English. Um, she is just so, so good at turns of phrase. Like she has perfect turns of phrase. Mm-hmm. And there was a point at which she was meeting, like, another family member's uh, family. So, like, married into, it was her brother, or her, you know, whatever. It, there was a young boy, and he was being as cocky as young boys are. I think he was, like, 15, 16. Oof. So, like, he was in that age. And Jen, Aaron's grandmother, was sitting there, you know, listening to this boy talk and everything and he gets up and leaves and Jen turns to Aaron or whoever was there and says he seems to be admiring the man that he hopes to become and it was like oh the library (laughs) is now open like seriously what a sick read Jen I love her I love her I love her but that's what that reminds me of he seems to be admiring the man that he hopes to become there you go The Boynton North Pole Expedition, which was scheduled to depart Spitsbergen, which is like mountains in Europe, people would climb it as training for Mount Everest back in the day. Just saying. Uh, In July of 1903, the expedition in July of uh, 1903, failed to come to fruition to the great disappointment of the American Geographical Society and to all of the patriotic Americans who had supported Boynton on his walk from New York to Colorado. All the sashes. Mm-hmm. Chapter five. Chapter five. Gold. <gasps> five golden rings. <laughs> By October, Boynton had reached Colorado Springs, where, with typical reckless abandon, he decided to climb Pike's Peak. Okay. 
<laughs> he later claimed to have beaten the world record for the fastest fastest ascent of the mountain. Though, of course, we only have his word for exactly. it. Exactly. I mean, yay. Good job. <laughs> Good job, buddy. While recovering from a knee injury, Boynton became friends with an old prospector named Fleming, who told him about the enormous mineral wealth of the surrounding area. Boynton immediately staked his claim to the land, giving it the name the Montezuma after the gold-rich Aztec emperor. After examining the land himself, Boynton sent a letter to Noah E. Barnes, an English financier whose acquaintance he may have made while traveling through London the previous year. Boynton sent samples of the region's gold ore to Barnes in London, which were inspected by the Bank of England and found to be of the highest quality. Ooh. After several visits to the region to conduct his own surveys, Barnes founded the Colorado Prospecting, Developing, and Mining Development Company. Dude, you could have deleted one of those. <laughs> one, one of those words didn't need to be in there. Boynton was made vice president and general manager of the company. Uh-oh. A year later, in June 1901, they formed the Montezuma Gold Mining and Milling Corporation. The company had an initial capital stock of $300,000 divided into 60,000 shares, yep, 60,000 shares at $5 each. Okay. (laughs) Math. Math (laughs) math and also like business and finance and Uh, whatever. Uh, The Montezuma claims were expected to produce over $1 million worth of gold and silver in 1903 alone. So not surprisingly, the shares sold extremely well. Of course. In an interview with the Salida Record newspaper in September 1902, Barnes predicted that, quote, three quarters of a million dollars annually will go to England as dividends to shareholders. The Montezuma Gold Mining Corporation's elaborately designed stock certificates lent the company an air of legitimacy. Which, in hindsight, it did not deserve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you can see one of those on our Instagram. That this podcast doesn't exist. It turns out that the supposedly successful mine had actually been seeded with gold from other mines to make it appear more productive. Uh, uh? Through a process known as salting. Which basically involves taking gold ore in a shotgun and shooting it into the mine. <laughs> To like really get the rock, because you can't just like leave a no. lump of gold to be like, oh look, oh look, no, you gotta like <laughs> into the wall. <laughs> it just really <laughs> the amount. I will say, regardless of the fact that this guy isn't necessarily like the explorer he wants to be, he's most certainly the adventurer. I like <laughs> just shooting ore, shooting shooting gold ore. And- well, okay. we, we think it was not him, it was Barnes, his, like, partner doing it. Oh. Well, still, like, to be to be tangentially involved, you, you still got the adventure there, my man. Yes. In the end, before I get to the end, also just the, like, gumption that you are already on a fundraising mission for this ridiculous plan, but then you, you have enough confidence in your own self 
whether it's luck or your own business acumen or your own fraudulent, you know, music manness of it all, to take a detour and be like, oh, there's gold here? All right, we're going to pin a pin in the hot air balloon North Pole extravaganza. I'm going to just start a quick little business over here. Like, Some passive income. Yeah. <laughs> The Airbnb of the day. <laughs> yeah. Just buy some land. Like, whatever. <laughs> I mean, you're right. Like, the, the, <laughs> just... The audacity. The audacity of a white man. Like, I can do it. I, I can, can do, do it. it all. Whatever. In the end, no dividends, surprise, <laughs> were ever sent to shareholders in London, and the company declared bankruptcy. And the doi. Noah Barnes spent several years in a Colorado prison for this fraud mm. and would later be incarcerated at Sing Sing Prison in New York for defrauding members of the German aristocracy, including Crown P- Prince Wilhelm of Prussia, using similarly fraudulent mining claims. So he just couldn't learn. I, yeah. He that just, Noah Barnes. His ego was too big. It is unclear if Boynton was blissfully ignorant and mistakenly caught up in the fraud, or if he was in fact a criminal mastermind who convinced Barnes to take the fall for his faulty endeavors. I both both of those I enjoy. Yes, stories. <laughs> Over the next five years, Boynton passed in and out of ownership of a variety of business ventures, all in varying degrees of success. And legitimacy. But, yep, (laughs) that makes sense. (laughs) In the end, all of these businesses failed without producing any dividends to their shareholders. From 1903 to 1907, we largely lose sight of Boynton in the historical record. He may have been on the run from angry investors of his failed business ventures, or even serving jail time alongside Barnes, though we have no record of such a prison stay. The most likely answer, as extraordinary as it may sound, is that Boynton saw an opportunity to return to his successful career of mercenary soldier, this time in China. In subsequent interviews, Boynton mentioned he had served as a military advisor to the Japanese in Manchuria. We have no evidence to substantiate this claim. But the Russo-Japanese War, which lasted from February 1904 to to September 1905, does conveniently fill the gap in our knowledge of Boynton's activities. The one reliable piece of evidence we have linking Boynton to the Russo-Japanese War is a passport application submitted to the U.S. legation in Santiago, Chile in 1905. Boynton is said to have returned to the United States via Chile after serving in Japan, so there may be some credence to his claim after all. Does this man ever sit down? I just feel like... No, that's why he's always walking. (laughs) (laughs) He has restless leg syndrome. I just feel like he's just nonstop. What, like... Wait, Haley? Haley slash Ruth? Ruth! I'd like to put in a request for a future meme Monday if someone can take one of the photos of this man and turn it into a restless leg syndrome, like, medication ad. Oh, that's perfect. (laughs) That'd be amazing. Um, Also taking new contenders. Are you a Photoshop whiz? Show off your skills. Send a theme song. We'll take creative hour anytime. I mean, Fan fiction. (laughs) No. (laughs) Yes. 
I don't want fan fiction about us. No, not about us. About something that we talked about on the oh, podcast. Oh, yes. Please send me links to fan fiction about our, like, mysteries. Um, sorry. What if it was just, like, Shannon and Emma go on an epic national treasure adventure? Oh, I would love to read that. Yeah, that's fan fiction. No, not I all know. fan fiction is the stuff that, that I read when I was in high school. Yeah, not <laughs> all of it is rated whatever. Some of it's X. rated e. I was going to be like, some of it's rated E for everyone. But I'm like, E on a site. Never mind. Never mind. Wrong. <laughs> and, wrong. And, wrong. All right. Anyway. Forgot to mention. Uh-huh. Liam also wrote us a uh, theme song. Um, yeah. But he claims he's not finished with it. So. Okay. We're... We're going to let him... That's okay, because we're planning to use it on mailbag episodes, and we still haven't recorded those yet, so... Yep, yep. Stay tuned. Chapter 6. The Darkest America Expedition. Whoa. By the end of 1907, Boynton re-enters the public eye, with his name appearing in newspapers attached to an expedition to explore the South American interior. The Discovery Darkest America Expedition was named after the Discovery, the sloop Boynton had purchased to carry his explorers up the Amazon River. The expedition was expected to take place over five years. Starting from Pernambuco at the mouth of the Amazon, the expedition would follow the Amazon to its source before crossing the Andes to reach Punta Parinas. Parinas. Who knows? Peru, the western point in mainland South America. The earliest articles prominently mentioned the possibility of lost gold mines and potential riches for the members of the expedition. But these claims were later dropped by Boynton in favor of a more plausible goal of scientific exploration. Okay. The expedition was to consist of botanists, mineralogists, ethnologists, taxidermists, and photographers. That's a lot of people. Just imagine the dining room conversations. <laughs> like, well, what have you been working on today, Jim? Turns around with like a toucan. <laughs> <laughs> he starts to make it like a puppet. Oh, God. And how are you today? <laughs> like, oh, God. Tim, or Jim, whoever you are. Whoever. Put it away. <laughs> no one wants that. Undiscovered flora and fauna were to be catalogued and sent back to the greatest museums in London and New York. And then I have another quote from <laughs> the Map House, <laughs> which sounds like the coolest frat ever. And by coolest, I mean nerdy, and that means cool to me. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the Map House, man. Okay. <laughs> Brief. Brief detour. Brief interlude. Uh, we're back to Mount Everest talk. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's really short. I promise. I promise. No, it was just okay. really funny because, like, the the guy, Mark, I don't remember his last name. It starts with an S. He was in the, uh, the, the 2019 documentary that's on Disney Plus that I talked about in our Everest podcast, which my mom said was very good. She listened to it. So... Thanks, Mama Karen. That's cool. Um, but he went and he visited the Royal Geographical Society and the Alpine Club, which he makes a joke. He's like, every country that has any sort of mountaineering sport going on has an Alpine Club. He's like, you've got the Canadian Alpine Club, the American. He's like, but in England, it's just the Alpine Club because it was 
first. <laughs> but so he goes, and it's an interesting comparison because at the um at the 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 Royal Geographical Society, it's very like white gloves. Someone's with him the whole time, and then at the Alpine Club, they have one of the oxygen bottles from the 1924 expedition, and it's a gong that they use in their lecture hall. They like hit it before a lecture starts. Nerds. It, but like they're like the chill guys, yeah. right? And then the other people are like, ew. <laughs> You want to talk about George Bellamy? <laughs> with, with a monocle. See, but those are the, the those people seem to me like the whole ooh people are like the ones that aren't necessarily like enjoying it. Yeah, you know what I mean. Whereas yeah. like the people who are using the the oxygen tank as a gong are like, yeah, man, we're here for the fun. And he's just like hands him Sandy Irvin's ice axe. Just, like, gives it to him. No gloves. He just gets to look at it and hold it. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> Which, granted, obviously, like, that is a lot less fragile of an artifact than, like, the rope they found tied around George Mallory's body that they're like, we can't take this out because it'll literally disintegrate. But, like... But <laughs> I just thought the attitudes were very hilarious. so incredible. Ew! <laughs> I love this character. I love this character. <laughs> like, I understand that they are also English, but I'm just picturing the Alpine Club as, like, Colorado, like, broskies being like, yo, the fresh pal out there is so great, bro. <laughs> and then you have my new favorite character. <laughs> Don't mind me. <laughs> I hope you guys are enjoying this. I think we're funny. I'm really also, if you guys don't think we're funny, I'm sorry, but we're really enjoying ourselves. <laughs> we're hilarious. Okay, um, but yes, the Madhouse. Madhouse. Madhouse, bro. It's a mad pal, bro. Um, <laughs> Chad, Chad, you're not here today, man. This, uh, ain't, this ain't your day. <laughs> sorry, I had it on my calendar from last week. Yeah, sorry, or man. It's okay. It's all right. It's all right. Okay, bye. See you later. Stay safe on the slopes, bros. Um, him. <laughs> From the map house. <laughs> Please also keep in mind, I've been with Emma for nearly 12 hours today. So, it's us- it's the opposite of our usual problem of like, we haven't seen each other. It's like we've seen too much of each other, but uh, also not enough. There we are. <laughs> um, yeah, we were both working remotely for yeah. a long time. So, all right. Ahem. The map house. Quote, dispatches from the expedition would be pr- the the darkest America. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Would be printed for the expedition supporters and were to be published in the Royal Geographical Society's journal. <laughs> Unbeknownst to the society itself, Boynton had been elected a fellow of the RGS back oh. in 1902. But upon hearing of the expedition, they categorically denied any association with Boynton or his undertaking. Unquote. Pulls up white white glove. <laughs> we don't know him. This American. Um, yeah. But you can become a non-voting member member of the RGS. Fun fact. For how much money? I don't know. But oh. you can. Because um, I need a birthday gift idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'd really want to get you into the bros club, though. <laughs> The Alpine. I, I feel the like Alpine you can just like walk into the Alpine Club and be like, "Hey, sup, dude? Cheerio, son, uh, cheerio, dude." <laughs> You'll be like, 
high. Which she just really wants to hit the gong. Can she? Can do I that? just? Can I just hit the gong? No, I'd be like, can I see the axe? Do can, can I hold it? Can I hold it? Can you imagine? I might cry. I was just about to say you look like about to cry. Oh my god! Just like okay. Sorry. Um, you came here for fraudsters and nonsense. <laughs> If you're a fan of the pod, you really should not be surprised <laughs> at all. Um, so, back to the Darkest America yeah. expedition. For Mr. Boynton. Boynton. The expedition was headquartered at the glamorous Bellevue Hotel in Boston, Mass. Ooh. A Boston newspaper reported at the time that Boynton would patrol the lobby of the hotel every morning and evening. Dressed in a khaki uniform, his chest covered in unrecognizable medals. <laughs> that he made in his room. <laughs> Puffy paint. <Yeah. laughs> Much to the annoyance of the hotel's management and many of the guests, he would insist upon speaking at length to any likely recruits about the merits of the exploration. Uh-oh. He's starting to go cuckoo. Starting? Like, more so than he was before. Boynton's experience publishing stock certificates to legitimize his sham companies would have given him a great deal of insight into the importance of good design to persuade investors. Mm-hmm. Ooh, he's he's a graphic designer for like you know marketing. He's he's good. He at was it. like, I I know graphic design just goes on Canva and uses a template. <laughs> that's, that's me. <laughs> um. He likely took existing copies of a map printed in 1906 and added flourishes, including the expedition name and a stamp of the glamorous hotel, to make the venture seem more legitimate. The projected cost of the expedition was approximately $100,000, all of which would need to be raised by the members before departing. This endeavor, however... Was doomed to fail before it even started. Of course. Where, where else was it going to go? What? How shook would you be, though, if this was, like, a final act switcheroo rug? You, like, rug, he I, actually was successful. Yeah. But then you would have been like, how have I never heard of him? Oh, that's fair. Right? Don't turn your head like that. I'm sorry. <laughs> My, I was looking at the moth, uh, painting that I have or that oh. thing on the on the shelf and I was like oh I forgot about that <laughs> so See, sorry I thought you were like ghost what the <laughs> to the stairs because I am freaked out <clears throat> okay <I'm> sorry <clears throat> I still haven't cleansed <laughs> that's what I'm gonna do tomorrow morning <laughs> I'm gonna br- Saturday I'm bringing you ingredients for a simmer pot Okay. I will be like, y'all unload that from the truck. I have to go to the kitchen. That's fine. I have uh, I have sandalwood and uh, some uh, Spanish words to say. So great. <laughs> Boynton left the hotel Bellevue shortly after publishing the recruitment poster, and in typical Boynton style, he left a trail of unpaid bills behind him. He traveled next to New York City in the hopes of finding more willing recruits. Instead, he found himself in jail due to yet another unpaid hotel bill. 
To add insult to injury, it was revealed during the trial that he had also failed to pay his $48 bill for the khaki uniform and medals he had worn in the lobby of the Hotel Bellevue. bought those, man? Well, he didn't, apparently. Oh, that's very... (laughs) He didn't pay for him. Why would he have a... I mean, I guess he was a soldier. I'm like, why would he have... (laughs) Anyway. And usually that's, like, given to you. Right? And usually you're given medals. At least we know he didn't make them. (laughs) Right? They were just unrecognizable. He's he's not a crafting person. He's just a crafty person. There you go. All right, so he's in jail. Yeah. In New York. Mm -hmm. And just when you thought this tale couldn't get more ridiculous, the White House gets involved. (laughs) Why? (laughs) At the time of Boynton's arrest, there was another man by the same name in the same prison. A George B. Boynton, who had been arrested by the Secret Service on charges of counterfeiting Venezuelan dollars. This is very specific. <laughs> when some prominent New York citizens, because remember, he's he lived in New York for yeah. a lot of his uh, upbringing. When some prominent New York citizens heard that a gentleman named George Boynton had been arrested in New York in connection with an outlandish scheme involving foreign currency, they reasonably, though incorrectly, assumed that it was their friend, George Melville Boynton, our friend. I mean, I I can understand the thought process. (laughs) Letters from such distinguished individuals as the former mayor of Birmingham and Baron Headley, Boynton's former business partner, began to accumulate on the president's desk, appealing for a pardon. Teddy Roosevelt... Oh, of course. No one else would have been like, ah, I admire the gumption of this man. Teddy Roosevelt, every bit the adventurer himself, admired Melville Boynton's spirit and granted the pardon. It was only when a lawyer visited George B. Boynton's prison cell to deliver the pardon that the error was discovered. Apparently, George B. Boynton also had an interesting life, and his biography did get published, so... I mean, is it in the name? That you're just, I, that you end up like this? <laughs> I don't know. It was very funny, though, because George B. Boynton mm-hmm. uh, was, like, 30 years older than our dude and had, like, a very thick silver, like, handlebar mustache. So the lawyer was like, wait a second, wait, 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 Like, wait, are you him from the future? <laughs> what? Oh, time travel is always an option. option. Goodwill seemed to have run out for our George Boynton, however, who was sentenced to three months of labor in a New York penitentiary, effectively canceling the Darkest America expedition. I mean, he's already, like, left the hot air balloon thing behind. The, yeah. This, this all feels very much like well, it's, run, love, it's running the, the same course. I love how they're like, it canceled the expedition. I'm like, so you mean to tell me that they basically already had almost the full $100,000. They were just waiting for the last little bit. And then they were ready to go. I feel like they never even like, did he buy the boat? Actually, did he just think he bought the boat? Like, did he, did he say I bought the boat? And then it was like, so like, as if, as if he was, I declare bankruptcy, like in the middle of the streets. <laughs> And then we have another quote from the map house. Map house, dude. Map house. Um, Boynton, 
ever the optimist, stubbornly continued to promote the expedition after his release from prison. The final mention of the expedition appeared in a small central Florida newspaper on December 11th? It just says the number one and then TH. So (laughs) any of those days, um, (laughs) any of the teens, 1908. The Ocala Evening Star reported that George Melville Boynton had arrived in St. Petersburg on the west coast of Florida to establish a training camp for his Darkest in America expedition. The camp, which was to be, quote, a model of its kind, would be open to the public and donations would be gratefully accepted. Unsurprisingly, the camp was never built and the expedition was abandoned for good. Yeah. Unquote. (laughs) It's just, again, unsurprisingly. (laughs) And, Emma, yes, I now present to you the final act. <gasps> Chapter seven, I think. Seven. Seven. Um, ba, 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 ba. For many years following his release, Boynton mostly faded into obscurity, serving as a soldier in the French Foreign Legion and in the East Africa campaign during World War I. He did, he was injured I didn't get into it because it wasn't as interesting. But yeah, you can I mean, read more about it out of all at the bathhouse. Out of all things, like, it, it makes sense that while soldiering, he got injured. That's yeah, fine. As you do. That doesn't need a story. No. After the war ended, he continued to tour the country while attempting to raise money for a home for disabled veterans in his hometown of Laconia, New Hampshire. So, like... Okay. Mm-hmm. He's, like, fraudulent, but not... It's very Harold Hill, I feel like. Yeah. Like, you technically are trying to scam people out of money, but you're not terrible. He's like a, a con man with a heart of gold. Sort of. I mean, I don't know. Potentially. You did, you, you're, that whole wife situation was... That was a bit much. Really, really, buddy. You could have... I'm sure you could have found somebody to take your picture or right? something. Also, it just, it's just mean. Yeah. It's just mean. Boynton's swan song, his final attempt at immortality came in 1924 when he announced to the press that he was planning another expedition. Oh, gosh. This time to Central America. Okay. The goal of the expedition was to find the lost Aztec city of Bacchus, which was rumored to be covered in gold and treasure. Of course. He claimed to have heard about the location of the city while fighting alongside President Alvaro Obregón of Mexico during the Mexican Revolution. The expedition was to consist of 24 members, including, for the first time on one of Boynton's expeditions, a woman. (gasps) Miss Mame Williamson. Oh, she sounds southern and fun. A former army nurse who had served during the Great War was recruited for her medical expertise and for her skills as an artist. So, like, actually valuable, not just, like, Check in a box. Great. Like all of Boynton's previous endeavors, the expedition never launched and was quietly abandoned. <laughs> I like I like that all of these are technically quietly abandoned. <laughs> For the final 20 years of his life, George Boynton returned to San Francisco, listing his occupation as military advisor until his late 60s. He died in the mid-1940s, and has been largely forgotten to time. As I mentioned, there's very little information about him. There's only four pages of Google results, which I feel like is saying something. Yeah. Interestingly, 
Had he sucked it up and lived a boring, normal life in New York, he would have inherited his father's tailoring business and become a legitimate millionaire. But the ordinary life just wasn't for him. And we're going to end with a final quote from Map House. Map House. In so many ways, Boynton personified both the virtues and vices of late 19th and early 20th century America. On the outside, he was bold, charismatic, and relentlessly optimistic. He was constantly seeking his fortune in new and inventive ways. Underneath the charming exterior, however, he was a braggart and a swindler whose larger-than-life public persona was developed through relentless self-promotion and whose money-making schemes straddled the line between hopelessly naive and outright fraud. And that is the story of George Melville Boynton, the greatest explorer that never was. That was so good. Thanks! That was so much fun. And also, I, like, I'm just mad now that, like, I didn't know about him. (laughs) Right? Like, he just seemed... You want kids to get interested in history, you should tell them stories like that. Right? I just wish he had, like, kept a diary or something. Something! Like, you would think with somebody who had the kind of, I don't know, gumption, moxie, whatever... Audacity. Audacity, that you want to call it. Like, you would think that he would be like, I'm important enough to have an autobiography. Everyone should know what I did. But the only caveat there would be... Does he have thought to do something fake in his autobiography? Or is he like, no, mm. I'd have to be really true about it if I were to write something about my life? Or, and this gets into, if you guys are interested in hearing us talk about stuff that's not necessarily a mystery but still is wild, it reminds me of the Bad Blood um, yes. Elizabeth Holmes Theranos situation. Which, I don't know if you saw the news or care about the news. I haven't. But the trial happened and she was found guilty on, like, most of the counts. That makes good sense. she still hadn't been sentenced the last I saw. Okay. So the sentencing hearing probably isn't for, like, another week. I don't know. This was several weeks ago that the the guilty verdict came. I want them to send her to jail. But then I'm I'm also, like, jail is bad in America because it's privatized. But anyway, la, la, la. But, like... The question with her is, like, how much did she know she was frauding people? How much did she actually believe? So it's, like, how much of his own hype did George believe, I think, if is he was, the thing. Yeah, if he was such a self-promoter in the way that he seemed to be, to be like, yeah, I could do this. Well, yeah, he, I can do this. And, and he did he do like, some, like, he did it. walk across Spain. So, like. Yeah. Brazenly. Right, like, he, so he was capable in some capacity. You know what I mean? Yeah. Versus things that are like 100% of fraud. You're like, oh, well, that person's a jerk. Yeah. That's frauding people on purpose. But, like, I feel like he bought into his own hype. You have to. I mean, especially if you had the kind of initial, like, because that, the walking thing was his first initial success. And it was, it was, it was like the first thing that he did, basically. So, at least so far as we know. Other than the soldiering. Yeah. Other than the soldier, but, like, you know, the it feels like, oh, I I am capable of this. I can definitely do this. This means that I can do whatever the heck I want and no one's going to question me about it. Yeah. So. I just, I think if we can all take something away, I think 2022 is the year 
that you just attacked this year with the audacity of George Melville Boynton. You I'm can do, do it. it. You can do it. You, if, if he can do it, you can do it. <laughs> exactly. Maybe don't try to fly to the North Pole, but um, you can, yeah. like, write that email to your boss. Yeah. You can it ask is not, for that raise. It is not as hard as you think it is. And at least you're not naked. <laughs> In the streets. And making a, making a suit out of brown paper. Brown paper. I just, I want to know what he used to fasten it with. I don't, maybe he sewed, I don't, look, I don't know. I, that, those are the, these are the questions <laughs> I would want to ask him. Well, that, I don't know what to tell you, Emma. I know, it's all right. You know who I should ask about him? Who? Is my grandmother, Nana. Because mm-hmm. she was alive during the time that he oh, was around. Yeah. For a while. And I'm sure in the newspaper something must oh, have come what up. What a good, can we get a Nana dispatch for the mailbag? Let's, let's That'd see. That'd be so good. She'd probably be like, who? What? Do I know them? Well, we do have photos, so we can. That's true. She's <laughs> also. Jog her memory. I, so everyone knows, she's 98 years old. She keeps telling people she's 100, um, which at this point we're like, go ahead, round up. Sure. Yeah. You, you are more than allowed to round up. But she, when the last time I visited her, she was like, did you know I'm not 100? <laughs> did, you, did you, like, buy, did you yes and her? You were like, what? You're not? <laughs> no, I didn't. Uh, I, was, I was like, oh, no, no, you're 98, Nana. And she was like, am I? I was like, yeah, I think so. What year were you born? She was like, 1924. And I was like, oh, so maybe you're not 98. <laughs> Wait a second. We don't do math. <laughs> we don't do math. Uh, I think she's technically 97. Wow. Um, Shout out to you, Nana and Jen. Shout out to all the grandmas. All the grannies. All the grams. Or as Jen refers to herself as, a crumbly. Adorable. We love <laughs> all that. The, all the crumblies. We love that. I think they have crumblies at the Royal Geographical Society. So much money. Well, my friends, just like the darkest America expedition, remember... This podcast doesn't exist. <laughs> Cheerio, my dudes. <laughs>